Well, I'm kind of sorry. Kind of. Why? Well, because I realize that I've sounded like a broken record. And maybe even a knockoff dollar store version of a wannabe Deepak Chopra. Anyway, I just know that momentum is our best friend when it comes to bettering ourselves. And here comes the broken record, of course. Addicts, in particular, are in a unique position, and I know I've said the words unique position more times than I care to remember. Anyway, addicts are in a unique position in that we've already created an immense amount of momentum by getting sober in the first place. We just need to ride that wave. Most people who do, you know, self-help or whatever, that's one of the things that they try to do is the first thing that, you know, a lot of sales trainers, the first thing they want to do is to get some momentum going. You know, they want to get your income up. You know, I'm, I'm going to quote a particular sales trainer guy that I listened to years ago. He's like, the first thing we got to do is we got to get your income up, get your income up, get it going. And that way we can focus on really working on your business. And, you know, a lot of people think, well, is it working on my business getting my income up? Well, what he really meant was we need to get you some momentum to ride off of because momentum is what propels us forward, accelerates us, gets us going even faster. And I feel like addicts already have a ton of momentum going to begin with just by virtue of getting sober because that is a huge thing to overcome. That's bettering yourself so much. That's probably bettering, your, bettering yourself more than a lot of people ha have ever done. So, and yeah, I guess I'm a little partial to addicts, so sue me. So, I really pushed that issue, and I know I probably sounded like a broken record. So, in this episode, I intend to maybe switch it up a little bit, tell some funny stories, because I've got some pretty good stories. We all do. That's one of, the, one of the great things we can take away from active addiction, is at least we've got some stories to tell. But before I do that, I do have a few thoughts that I wanted to get out there that I have that I feel like I maybe kind of just glossed over or missed entirely. Most people think, say they don't. Well, I don't have money to start a business. That's fine. You know, most people don't, especially not when you're coming out of addiction. Most people owe everybody in the world, and it's probably something that they either won't be able to handle, are going to have to some, somehow make it up in another way, or whatever. I mean, there's three things to sell. It's either services, which could be lawn mowing, tree trimming, construction, handyman, anything. Or your knowledge. You know, a lot of us have a lot of knowledge. We've learned a lot of things. I mean, a lot of street smart. And we can impart that knowledge to other people. And hopefully, some, you know, some people won't learn it. Some people have got to learn the hard way. They've got to go out and find out for themselves, and that's fine. That's the, the path they've chosen. And But then there are other people who will use your knowledge, who will take what you've learned and use it. And there are a lot of people making a lot of money just imparting their knowledge that they have. And you may think, well, I don't really know anything. Maybe you didn't even graduate high school. It doesn't really matter when it comes to this because we're talking about life lessons. We're talking about things that you have probably learned that are very unique to you and that you could help other people with. And then, of course, there's products. And there's lots of ways to be to sell products these days. I mean, there's a blue million businesses out there. Drop shipping with Amazon's not necessarily a good deal anymore, only because there's just a million, well, no, way more than a million, 
millions of vendors out there who are all competing against each other on the same site. I'm not saying it can't be done. It absolutely can. There's people doing it every day. Young people, get very young people, teenagers getting in the business and making crap tons of money. So I'm not saying it can't be done. But products is usually when it does cost some money up front. But, you know, one of the things that a lot of people need to stop with is thinking that there's a zero-sum game. They always think that whenever I've made money off of somebody, it had to, somebody had to lose in order for me to win. That's not always true. The thought of a, the thought of a zero-sum game, well, it's just not true. You want an example? Okay, fine. Gold miners pull money straight out of the dirt. It's created. I mean, yeah, the gold was always there, and yes, they're taking it from the earth. But the point is, as far as the economy goes, they're not taking it from anyone. They're creating wealth straight out of the ground. Let's just face it with the amount of money that's in the world today. It's just, it's absurd how much money's in the world today. There's plenty of it to go around. And it's not always a case of somebody has to lose in order for somebody to gain. So, what we need to focus on is two things. Just two things. How can we be of service to others? What is the end result? Now, how can we be of service to others? Well, I mean, that's pretty simple. If you want to start a tree trimming business, for example, find people, find like an older lady that needs tree trim. I mean, have you ever, have you ever seen how much people charge for that stuff, for tree trimming? My dad got a quote on a couple of trees in his yard, and I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's almost shocking. So how can you be of service to others? Find a little old lady that needs some tree work done, that can't afford to get it done. I promise you that they're out there. Go do it for her. Just to be a nice guy. I mean, if you're unemployed or if whatever the case, what else are you going to do? You can probably find a couple hours to go do that and do some good in the world. Do something really nice for someone. It will come back to you. It absolutely will come back to you. Her family's going to find out. Everybody's going to find out what you did for that lady. And most people aren't going to be like, well, you do it for me for free. Because most people know you did that out of the goodness of your heart. And most people who are in a better position are going to offer you money for your services. You may be surprised how much they offer you. Yes, I do know there are going to be those people. Well, you did it for her for free. I don't know how to deal with that. Of course, things are going to happen. And we can't... Uh, we can't predict what's going to happen all the time. We can just be prepared to deal with it. And what do I mean by the end result? I say we focus on two things. How can we be of service to others? What is our end result? Those are the two things we focus on. Well, with our end result, obviously we want to be financially well off. We want to be happy. We want to be healthy. Happy, healthy, wealthy, and free. That's a good one. And if we focus on serving others and focus on our own end goal, how the, how, the, how the middle gets filled in isn't really up to us. Everything else just seems to fall into place. If you trust it, you have to trust that it will, and you have to allow it to. A lot of people self-sabotage. I'm, I'm one of the worst about self-sabotaging. Up until now, I don't do that anymore. However, I look back on my life, and there's been a lot of times I've self-sabotaged myself. I, don't, I couldn't tell you why. I wanted success. I wanted things to be great i wanted things to work out but for whatever reason i sabotaged myself but i roadblocks and i'd love to be able to sit here and tell you why i did that but i can't tell you and i'm sure that everybody listening is the same way i'm sure everyone listening to this can be like yeah i've self-sabotaged myself too and i couldn't for the life of me tell you why i did it 
So what I mean is everything else will fall into place if you trust it and allow it. And allowing it is a big one. That's the self-sabotage part. And trusting it is also a big deal. We can't try to always take things in our own hands. Like, for example, doing the tree trimming for the little old lady. If you look at that as, well, gosh, that's two hours of my time that I could have made blah, blah, blah. You know, or I could have made a thousand bucks doing that, that work. Yeah, but you weren't going to. Probably we're just going to sit around the house wishing you had something to do. You never know what's going to happen whenever you're serving others. Someone might see you doing the tree work for the lady. Stop and ask, hey, um, I've got some trees over here that I need done. Can you come over here and do these afterwards? Sure. And then you strike up a deal. Next thing you know, you're doing every house on the whole street. I just, that's that's part of trusting it. That's part of allowing it. You have to trust it to what, that it will happen. You have to allow it to happen. And all the stuff that's in the middle, well, thankfully that part isn't our problem. The how. That part is left up to the creator. Or God. Whatever you want to call it. I tend to call it the creator. Our end result, we need to focus on, like I said, being happy, healthy, wealthy, and free. We do need to be very specific. I mean, we, if we want to live in a particular kind of house or drive a particular kind of car, if we want to have an X amount of money in the bank, I have, on my visualizations, I went out and Googled million-dollar bank statement. I found where someone posted a picture of an ATM receipt that showed it was over a million dollars, like a million twelve thousand dollars or something like that. I now have that in a photo album on my phone for my visualizations. I have the type of car I want to drive, the type of house I want to live in, where I would like to live, and that ATM receipt. How I'm going to get there, I don't know. Well, I have an idea, but all I know is I'm going to be of service to people. I'm going to serve people the best I can, and I know that I'm going to end with that result. How I get there, where the money comes from, where this comes from, where that comes from, I don't know. Okay, moving on, because I'm not going to continue to sound like a broken record. Actually, those are some things that I probably haven't said, and I feel like I needed to. But will I sound like a broken record again soon? Eh, most likely. Ask my kids, they'll, they'll laugh and tell you that I always sound like a broken record. But then again, I also feel like if they would listen, then, <laughs> then I wouldn't have to repeat it. So, story time. How I ended up in court-ordered rehab is, well, it started with I had gotten arrested for possession of heroin. And then my, and that was a uh, misdemeanor. No big deal. Second time, much bigger deal. I was looking at a felony charge. And I honestly did miss court. I believed it was the next Monday, but no, it was this Monday. And, well, then there was a warrant out for my arrest. So thinking if I show up to the Sheriff's Department in Cincinnati and turn myself in, they should probably recite me, meaning give you a new court date, and you show up for that. I did not have an Ohio ID at the time, so they weren't able to do that. They had to take me into custody. So while I was in intake, the uh, nurse was asking me all the questions, you know, do you have history of seizures and, you know, all that good stuff. So they get to the question of do you have a any dietary restrictions, and I'm thinking... Um, yeah, I do. <laughs> because obviously this wasn't my first time in jail and everybody knows the food sucks. The food is terrible. So I thought I'd take a chance on it and see if I could get a little bit better food. So when she did ask me, if, do you have any dietary preferences or whatever? I said, yeah, I eat kosher when I'm able. 
So she looks at the other nurse and she's like, do we do kosher? Because keep in mind that the whole dietary thing, I believe, is more for diabetics. But anyway, so the other one's like, yeah, it's in there. So she comes over and she shows her right here, kosher. Okay, check it out. All right. So at that point, I'm like, oh, wow. I don't know what I'm getting into. This could be very good or it could be, uh, I don't know. I'm hoping it's not apples and oatmeal all day, every day. But uh, we'll see what happens. Well, it worked out pretty good. Because um, <laughs> I got peanut butter for breakfast every morning, and a piece of fresh fruit, and a juice every day at every meal. It was really nice. And, of course, then I went and traded the fruit off for coffee and things like that. So, getting peanut butter for every breakfast... If you ever been in jail, you know that's a commodity. That's something you get maybe once a week, the regular guys do. I was getting a thing of peanut butter every breakfast. So yeah, I could trade that off for a couple of shots of coffee. Worked out pretty good. Also, in Cincinnati, anyway, they have a hot breakfast, you know, whatever their whatever that slop is. So they have a regular breakfast, and then for lunch they have a regular slop ass hot meal. But at, at night, every single night, you can count on it. Every single night of the of your life, you can count on them giving out two bologna sandwiches and a cookie and like a, one of those fake juices. It's a sack lunch or dinner. But that's what it is for dinner every single night. No hot meals for dinner. Ever. Unless you get a kosher meal. Hey. My kosher meals for dinner, I got a hot TV dinner with a piece of fruit and a, and, a, and a juice. Yeah, people are asking me, how did you get that? How did you get that? Well, there's a lot of jealous people there. So you've really got to stick with your story. So I told them I was a Messianic Jew. Now, if I have any Jewish friends out there, please understand. I only knew to say that because I love the Jewish people. So I, that's why I knew to say this told him I was a messianic Jew and that I followed a kosher diet and therefore you know I kind of told people kind of to the side hey you know you can tell them this too right and then the black dudes were like well no I don't know about that and I'm like well okay fine I mean you know there are black Jews tons of them look at Ethiopia however if you were if you feel more comfortable with it tell them you're Muslim I mean they do this they do the same diet so whatever well, maybe not exactly the same diet, but it's very close. I had uh, some people kind of envious, and then I also had some haters. And that's fine. How did you get that hot meal? How do you got a, how you get a microwave meal every night? Because, you know, they were getting their bologna sandwiches. And that sucks. But anyway, so it worked out. But I really was gambling because I didn't have a clue what they were going to give me. I really didn't. I was like, man, I might just be getting, like I said, oatmeal and apples for every meal. I did not know. And another little side note about the oatmeal at jails. They're in these huge bags that say in real big letters on the side of the bags, not for human consumption. But man, they serve the hell out of it at jails. And let me tell you, it's actually pretty decent. That's kind of funny. That's how I ended up in a... And from there, I was waiting to go to court-ordered rehab. Uh, the judge ordered me to rehab. Why? Because I missed a court date. He thought I was strung out on drugs. At the time, I wasn't super strung out. I can't say I wasn't using, but we know there are degrees to that. And, of course, it would have gotten worse. So, in fact, he did save me. But he ordered me to go to, court, to the 
State Ran Rehab, which was a six-month program that could be completed in four months, and I did. While I was in court, he told me that's what he was sentencing me to. And I said, I'm not going to do that. He's like, what do you mean you're not going to do it? That's what I'm sentencing you to. I said, yeah, but I don't have to take it. I can refuse to go, which is true. And he said, yeah, you're right. You can do that. He said, but I can also give you the maximum sentence. Now, you think about that while I tell you a story. (laughs) He wasn't playing games. The story he told me was, I had a guy who was supposed to be in here yesterday. He got picked up by the police, and they let him out on a sheriff's release last week one day. That's something that happened in Cincinnati because they they don't have enough room in the jail, so they go through and they take the nonviolent offenders and they let them out on sheriff's release. It's like it's like Santa coming to see you. Because they just, you know, in the afternoon, they'll holler at your name over the speaker, you know, Stevens, get your shit and get out. It's like, oh, my God, I just got released. Anyway, he said this guy got a sheriff's release last week. He was supposed to have been here yesterday, but over the weekend, he overdosed and died. And I'm not going to let that happen to you. So if you don't want to go to this, that's fine. But you, but I can sentence you to a maximum sentence. I'm like, damn. And based on him telling me the story, he was dead serious. So I said, okay, fine. Now, I still could refuse between then and whenever they actually transported me. But everybody in my pod was like, no, man. Because I, there were several guys that had been there. They were like, no, man, go there. It's great. It's very nice. Um, you'll be out of there in four months. You'll be out of there by summer. It's got carpet. They've got real showers. They've got real beds. They've got TVs. They've got real food, yada, yada, yada. You'll see every movie that you can think of over the next few months. It's going to be great. Now, I mean, you know, there is a lot of work. I mean, there's workouts every day, twice a day. There's a lot of classes. I read 23 books. It was very good for me. And... It probably did save my life because, like I said, when I missed that court date, no, I wasn't like super strung out, but I was chipping and we know where that goes. So I got to be very grateful. Now, I did relapse after I got out of there briefly. That was the last time. Most addicts that I know were all good people. Most of them, most had a lot going for them outside of addiction. Addiction always kind of put them on the on the back foot with regards to having things going for them. However, a lot of smart people, generally good people, drugs make people do bad things. Obviously, we know this, but for the most part, good people. And I really say this as human beings, we don't belong in jail. We don't belong in that environment. I realize that everybody else in jail are humans just like we are until they become institutionalized, until they become ingrained in the system or the system is being ingrained into them is probably more accurate at that point they're animals and i and i say that with a heavy heart i I really do hate to say that about another person and i'm not really picking on anyone in particular although i can think of some people but we humans don't belong in that environment it is controlled chaos at best they're animals in there I mean, how someone can get off on watching another person suffer or or even be indifferent to it. To watch someone else suffer, to hurt someone, and actually get your kicks off of it, to actually get off on it. It's just sick. Then you think, well, not everybody's like that. And you're right, they're not. Some people 
are repulsed by it. And that's great because I feel like we should be repulsed by that environment. That's not where we belong. That's not where we flourish. That's not where we were born to be. Now, what's the answer? That I don't know. Is there something else? I don't know. I know that some people have made decisions for themselves that are probably ill-advised. Some people act like they're okay with it. And that's fine. Those are their, that's their life. Those are their choices. I've heard a lot of stories, just the things that people would do to other people just to get their jollies off of it. And then there's other people who will even just be indifferent about it. Yeah, whatever. That's, that's just, that's how that guy is. They tolerate it or whatever. And I guess we all have to tolerate it because you don't want to become a victim yourself. But I don't know. My point is we don't belong in that environment. As a species, I believe that we are on this planet to learn, to be of service to each other, to grow, to learn more about ourselves, and to advance, kind of graduate from this. And that kind of environment is obviously not conducive to graduating to a higher calling. So anyway, yeah, that whole jail environment is not good. And even if, and in some cases, if that's the only thing that can keep you on the straight and narrow, if that's the only thing that can keep you sober, just a fear of jail, there's no shame in that. There have been times over the years, and it's been a while now. It's been a good long while now. But there have been times where the fear of jail kept me sober. Thinking about looking out the window. And it's freezing freaking cold. Looking out the window down onto the street in downtown Cincinnati. It's a beautiful sun, summer day. And here I am in this. We don't belong there. And we can flourish. We're here for a reason. We've been through the things that we've been through for a reason. We have a very important story to tell. We have a very inspiring story to tell. We can save a lot of other people. Drugs out here on the street these days are crazier than they've ever been. Fentanyl, my God, that stuff is insane how strong it is. And they're selling it to look like a Perk 30. Like you can just go buy a regular ass Perk 30. No, 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 that's fentanyl. And by the way, it's enough fentanyl to kill 20 people. That's crazy. We've been through a lot and we can use what we've been through to inspire other people to better themselves or maybe even not go there in the first place. That would be best. My kids watched what I did and I've been very honest with them. I promised myself I wouldn't lie to my kids anymore. And I'll tell you what, that promise has been very hard to keep at times because they've asked me some very difficult questions to answer. But I've done it. And actually, it's probably a good thing because they have now... They have a very um, very good understanding of how this thing works, how addiction works. It starts out great. It's like the ex, right? It's like the ex-girlfriend or whatever it is. You know, everything started out great. And then it went to, then it went downhill. Then it got even worse. Then the breakup happened because it was so bad. And then when there's some distance, that ex kind of calls back. Hey, you know, remember the good times? Anyway, sorry. There's the broken record again, right? <laughs> Oh, well, it's fine. Right? It's fine. Sure. But we can absolutely be inspirations to people. I used to be afraid to admit that I was an addict in recovery. However, I've realized more lately than, you know, well, I mean, I've noticed it for a lot, long time, but lately I've told a few people and most people are just very very nice about it they say congratulations they smiling and all that so maybe the stigma with you know or maybe it's my clean time maybe it's the fact that i've got over five years i mean you do have to earn it 
you can't get clean for five days and think, hey, I've got it licked. Hey, everybody, look at me. However, if you've got five hours in, you've, you've got to you've, you've got to start. Like the old Chinese proverb, journey of a thousand miles begin with, begins with one step. So I guess that's my big message, being inspiration. And, of course, with regards to jail, if for whatever reason you ever have to go, maybe tell them you're a messianic Jew and you need a kosher tray. <laughs> sorry. Kind of sorry. I'm not usually sorry. So, um, that's what I got this time around. This is Matt Stevens. This is My Sober Addiction. Thank you for listening, and I love you all. This is, this is.